So tonight we're looking at this passage. Now Sarah's reading on Monday morning and really uh, it's a great blessing to me to be reminded of this passage once again. And the reality is that sometimes our walk with the Lord is just hard. And none of us desire trials. And actually we often want power to escape weakness and trials in the easiest way possible. The difficulty is the scriptures tell us that if we follow the Lord Jesus, we won't escape trials. But it does promise that we will be given strength to endure them through the love of Christ. And verse 9 is such a powerful verse. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. In weakness. The promise is that the Lord will give us strength in the midst. And we know, don't we, that there are many who change the message because telling people that if you follow Jesus, weaknesses, trials and difficulties will still come and be in your life. Well, that's not a very attractive thing to say. And people would prefer to sort of soar through life and get through without any troubles. But altering the message to make it appealing in that means that two things are lost. The truth of the gospel is lost, but also the opportunity for the Lord to demonstrate his power in our lives by meeting the deep needs that we have when we're going through some particular trial or adversity. And as I was thinking on this text, it's really been very important to me in this week so far, but I just wanted to share with you some of the truths and principles that it highlights. And the first thing is very obvious, and it's this, that true believers experience weakness. We do. We face weaknesses, and they shouldn't surprise us. Even Paul, the mighty servant of God, experienced acute weakness. But when you think about that, there are a number of questions that kind of arise. And one of them is this. What is the weakness or weaknesses that Paul is talking about when he says that the strength of Christ is made perfect in weakness? And also that leads us to think, well, where do those weaknesses come from? What is the source of them? Do they come from Satan? Do they come from God or both? And then we have to ask the question, well, what is the purpose behind those weaknesses? Is there an outcome of them why these weaknesses come to us? Well, Paul answers these under the inspiration of the Spirit really clearly and brings us back to the truth and teaches us to know how we can know the Lord's strength in the many trials that we face. And so we're just going to work through the text this evening. We know, don't we, that we should rejoice in the Lord. And many of the things that we sing describe how joy in Christ should overwhelm us. And the words come out and often they're great truths and experience, but there are times when we just don't feel that. They're not our own real life experience. There are times when joy we feel is not really flooding our soul. And what do we do then? We know what is true. We know that being in Christ has brought and brings amazing joy and peace and blessedness, but we don't always feel that every day. And there are times when the, the tide goes out in our lives, as it were, and we, we feel empty. And we know that the Lord hasn't changed. We know that his word hasn't changed. We know that the, the blessings that are there for us in Christ have not disappeared, but we need refreshing again. And we need his presence again, and we need the tide to turn again in our hearts and Though those seasons do come to us, our only hope is in the grace and strength of the Saviour that we find here in our text. So let's think about those questions. What are the weaknesses that Paul has in mind? What is he thinking of when he quotes 
the Lord Jesus in verse 9 when he says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. He goes on to say that I would rather boast in my infirmities, in my weakness. And in verse 10, he says, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. So you have weakness, infirmity, and then verse 10, infirmity again. And he elaborates then on four descriptions in verse 10. Hopefully you can see them. Reproaches, needs, persecutions, and distresses. So what are they? Well, reproaches or insults are those things when people come at you and have ways of making your faith or service look poor or ineffective or strange when they express disapproval or disappointment in the way that you've acted. Needs, there are, those are circumstances that are forced upon you, reversals of, of fortune against your will. And that could refer to any situation where you feel trapped. You didn't plan for it to be like this, but there you are. And it's hard. Or persecutions. That's when wounds and abuses and painful circumstances and attacks and prejudice and harm from people come to you because you love Christ. And because you're standing up on his word and want to live for his glory. When you're not treated fairly. And that can escalate to physical harm and danger, as we know, for brothers and sisters around the world. And then distresses. That's the idea of one of real pressure or just being crushed or weighed down troubles that tend to overcome you with stress and tension. Now, what is clear is this, and you need to understand that what Paul has in mind is not sin and it's not sinful behavior. He's not talking about a weakness a person might have in their life for gossip or lust. He is not talking about sinful or wrong choices that we make. So as one explains, Paul is not saying the strength of Christ is perfected in my sinful decisions. Or I will all the more gladly boast of my sinful choices. Weaknesses here are not sinful behaviours. So these weaknesses, their circumstances, their situations, their experiences, their wounds that make us look weak and ineffective, that really we would choose to avoid or get rid of if we could, and that we would try and avoid if we had the human strength to make that happen. And so if reproaches come, if we were strong, we might want to return the insults with such a crushing response that our accuser or the one insulting us would be totally humiliated. And everyone would admire our cleverness and quickness of thought. Or needs, if we were strong, we would change our circumstances and provide so that we could just alter our hardship as we wanted. And we could direct the circumstances in the way that, that would avoid any discomfort. Or persecutions, if we were strong, we would stand against the persecution so powerfully and decisively that we would never be troubled again. Or distresses, if we were strong ourselves, we'd use our resources to get out of the distress and take charge of the situation so all was well and we wouldn't have to deal with the pressure. But the reality is we don't have that strength. And even if we did as believers, we're not to use our strength in the same way as the world uses it. You know, Jesus said, didn't he, don't return evil for evil. Or as Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, we labor working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. 
we have been made as the filth of the world, the offscoring of all things until now. In other words, the kind of response to the weakness and troubles itself looks weak in the eyes of the world. It looks feeble. It looks ineffective. At least it looks that way to those who thrive on pride and understand power to be the humiliation of others. One says these weaknesses are not sins, but experiences and situations that are hard to bear and that we cannot remove either because they're beyond our control or because love dictates that we do not return evil from evil. So then we ask, well, where do they come from? Do they come from the Lord? Do they come from the enemy? Or is it both? Well, Paul gives us this example of a thorn in the flesh. Now, if you look at verses 1 to 4 of the passage, Paul (coughs) describes amazing revelation of God's glory that he'd been given. Caught up into a paradise, heard things that cannot be told on earth. And uh, he describes this situation, although not naming himself, but he's describing his own experience. And it would have been easy for Paul to think that he was already rising above the ordinary hardships and troubles of earthly life because he had this amazing spiritual privilege. But verse 7 shows what actually happened. He says, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, A messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. So the thorn in the flesh, whether it was a physical problem or some relentless enemy, it's one of the weaknesses that he's talking about. And we know this because when he prays that God would take it away in verse 8, three times he says he prays about this, the Lord answers, my strength is made perfect in weakness. That's the response to his prayer. So the thorn in the flesh is one of the weaknesses that are identified in our text. So where did it come from? Well, Paul calls it, doesn't he, a messenger of Satan, verse 7, given to harass him. So we can learn that clearly some weaknesses come from Satan. Satan afflicts the children of God through his angels or messengers, and his aim is to cause misery, to rob us of our joy, to destroy trust in the Lord, and to hinder our service of Christ. But it's also not that simple, is it? Because Satan isn't the only one at work here. God is at work. One says the thorn is not just the work of Satan to destroy, it is also the work of God to save. You say, well, how do you find that word? you see that? Well, you see it in a couple of ways. Notice how Paul describes the thorn's purpose in terms of humbling him. That is to deal with his pride. Satan's purpose is actually all about causing pride. He's all about pride. He uses pride to ruin by causing pride in self or despair over what has not been done. And Paul's incredible spiritual experience made him vulnerable to pride and to exalt it himself. And so God uses and overrules the hostile designs of Satan to actually bring Paul on, to sanctify Paul. Satan wanted to ruin Paul. He wanted to make him miserable. He wanted to turn him away from the ministry, the preaching of the gospel. But God's purpose is to humble Paul and to keep him looking away from self so they can continue to be effective in serving the Lord. So God overruled Satan's attack to deepen Paul. 
And we also see that the thorn is permitted by the Lord and not just Satan's design when Paul prays for the thorn to be removed because the Lord says, no, my strength is made perfect in weakness. In other words, he says, Paul, there is a purpose in what is happening to you. That is not ultimately Satan's destroying work. It is ultimately my saving, sanctifying work. And so as we saw when John was going through Job, God permits Satan to afflict his righteous servant and turns the affliction for his good purposes. So where do the weaknesses come from? Well, in some sense, it can be the enemy seeking to ruin and disrupt and destroy us. But always overruling is the Lord's purpose for our good and our relationship with him. And that's why trusting God's sovereignty is so precious when trials come. Because God really is in control of Satan. Satan does nothing to God's children that God does not permit, does not allow or design with infinite skill and love for our good. And so as we draw things together, what's the purpose then of these weaknesses? Is there a goal or an aim why these weaknesses come? Why are there reproaches and insults and hardships and persecutions and distresses? Why has this thing happened? Maybe you're asking yourself, why am I in this hard situation? Well, our text points us to some things that are so important to remember. To remind you, verse 7, Satan's purpose is always to ruin you. Always. People play fast and loose with the world and they don't realise Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to ruin you. He wants you to stumble. He wants you to be in trouble. He wants to rob you of your joy. He wants to make you ineffective. And so in that light, it's okay to cry out to God. It's okay to cry out for relief as Paul did. He pleaded with the Lord until he was told to trust. Of course we don't want pain. Of course there are times when things are hard and we, we cry out to the Lord. God doesn't take pleasure in our suffering, but the enemy does. So we have to be alert to that. Also, God's purpose is to humble us. As God overrules the enemy's designs, the Lord will humble, humble us. And so the Lord keeps us humble to be dependent upon him. And so we need to rely and trust his work in our lives. And that's hard to understand in our day and age when really we're so self-absorbed. The world is about self and about me. But we have to see the bigger picture than that. As one said, God thinks humility is more important than comfort. Humility is more important than freedom from pain. He may well give us a mountaintop experience in paradise and then bring us through anguish of soul in case we think that we have risen above the need to be totally reliant upon his grace. His purpose is our humility and lowliness and reliance upon him. Paul's spoken about this already in this letter to Corinthians 1. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Or chapter 4, verse 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. And God's purpose, friends, is not only to make us humble, it is always to glorify the Lord Jesus. And in our weakness, God purposes to glorify the grace and the power of his son. That's the, the main point of verses 9 to 10. God is designed to make you, if you're a believer tonight, 
a demonstration of the power of Jesus Christ. That's an incredible thing to dwell upon. You know, not in the way that the world operates or the way that we want, not by getting rid of all of our weaknesses, but by giving us supernatural grace and strength to endure, to even rejoice when troubles come. And we have to trust him because he really is a great God. And if he purposes to demonstrate the perfection of his son's power in our weakness, instead of taking that weakness away, we have to trust that he knows best. We always trust him. It's very interesting. Often people talk about the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. I don't know if you have ever noticed the contrast that are there. Let me highlight some. It says that by faith, some escape the edge of the sword. But it also says in verse 37, by faith, some were killed by the sword. Both had faith. The outcomes were different. By faith, some stopped the mouths of lions. But by faith, others were sawn in two. It also says, by faith, some were mighty in battle, but also by faith, some suffered in chains. Now, in every circumstance, faith was demonstrated and strength given. But the outcomes in terms of what the world sees were different. Some were killed, some survived. But God's purpose was always sure. Because whether surviving, whether dying, Christ was exalted. You see, the ultimate purpose of God in our weakness is to glorify the kind of power that moved Christ to the cross and kept him there until the work of love was done. You know, Paul said that Christ crucified foolishness to the Greeks. It's a stumbling block to the Jews. But to those who are called, what is it? It is the power of God and the wisdom of God. The deepest need that we have, that I have, in weakness and adversity is not a quick exit or a quick escape, though we may want it. It is the grounded confidence that what is happening is part of the greatest purpose of God in the universe, and that is the glorification of Jesus Christ. And for that to be seen in my life, to be seen in your life, that that same grace and power that took Jesus to the cross and kept him there until that work was done, is demonstrated in our lives too. That's what the Lord purposes to demonstrate when we face our weaknesses. And I know that my prayer is that it will be demonstrated more in my life. And I trust that it will be your prayer that you will be granted strength to face what you are facing in your life. And that as we do so, ultimately Jesus will be exalted, that Jesus would receive the glory and that indeed all would know that it is because of him and his strength that we endure. Amen.